This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, welcome to a Sunday morning edition of the Chase Thomas podcast on the line right now. Shion Jaharaja. Shion, how are you? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for coming on. Texas football, Texas forever. <laughs> Something like that, for sure. <laughs> um, we honestly should have crossed paths beforehand because I remember you were first on my radar when you were with the Die Hard Network. Um, how long ago was that now? When did that shutter? Yeah. So let me think. So I think that I was with SEC country back in 2016 yeah. for that football season for 2017. I was with big 12 diehards where I kind of did uh, general assignment, big 12 stuff. And then that officially, I think ended like June, 2018. So, so I've been with this job since like August, 2018. So about a year, a year and a little bit more now. So, um, but but diehards, yeah, that was back in I think 2017. Yeah, and because um, I was with Cox at the time too, uh, doing sports stuff. So, um, yeah, it it everything comes full circle. It just uh, it just takes time. But you're a college sports insider on uh, TexasFootball.com, and uh, everyone should go check out TexasFootball.com and all the great stuff going on there. And go check out to see how big uh, football stadiums are. Uh, in high school football in the state of Texas these days because uh, they're they're getting more and more outrageous every time I see them. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. There's, you know, the big talk for everybody was the 60 million football stadium built for Allen High School, but now there's a 70 million high school built, uh, I, I think, up in McKinney. And, and then that doesn't even count that, like, in Frisco, the Frisco high school teams actually play in the Dallas Cowboys practice facility, which they built to kind of be a stadium as well. Like, that's what we're working with here just in Dallas. That doesn't even count, you know, going down to Austin or Houston or anything like that. I mean, it it is unlike anything I've ever seen. Oh, my God. Well, you know, it's it's fine. These are all fine things. Um, speaking of <laughs> things that are fine, we are going to be talking about college football on this podcast. Um, and I feel like I don't really want to start with this, but I think we have to start with this because... It is what everyone's going to be talking about today and the rest of this week, which is the fact that not only did LSU eclipse the double-digit point total mark against Alabama, something that they have not been able to do in a while, um, they just flat-out um, outscored and beat Alabama on the road. Um, they jumped up to a big lead early. Alabama obviously roared back. Um, a lot of the discussion is about the forgotten running back for LSU and his big day, but... Um, what did, what was your biggest takeaway for, um, LSU Alabama? Yeah, I think that it's clearly that this LSU offense is legit. I mean, I think that we probably knew that heading into this game, but 
at the same time, when you're putting up 46 points against Alabama, when Joe Burrow's, you know, throwing 39 times for 393 yards and three touchdowns and not throwing a pick, not having really very many mistakes at all, I, I mean, come on. <laughs> what more can you expect from LSU? And we've been hearing for so long that LSU is going to modernize this offense, that they're going to, you know, pass the ball a little bit more, that they're going to throw the ball down the field. And every single time under Les Miles, under Coach O, it's been a complete lie. And this time, you know, they finally really spread it out. They finally really started throwing the ball down the field. Uh, you know, I mean, I watched Joe Burrow last year quite a bit. I was at that Texas A&M LSU game last year where they basically were just like, Joe, you can't throw, just to, you know, run forward. And the transformation of this offense and the transformation of Joe Burrow as a quarterback has been tremendous. And, you know, the fact that LSU can now throw the ball downfield and, and cause issues, even against a defense as good as Alabama's. I mean, that's a whole lot about where LSU is right now. And, and look, Joe Burrow completely outplayed to attack it by Lois. Like, he just did. And I don't think that heading into the year that anybody could have really saw that coming. I disagree. I think Joe Burrow was good. I was most impressed with Tua on third and fourth down. Like, sure, sure. I think we're going to forget what he was doing on third and 19 and fourth and two from the red zone. Like, he had so many big time throws to a like it, the first and second down stuff, obviously, and he got off to a bad start and made some weird decisions. But like Joe Burrow was like fine, was was good throughout. But I'm going to remember two as third and fourth down plays. Like, that's what, if you go back and just look at third, like third and long, it just didn't matter. Like nothing phased him. And he just, he had a lot of big time throws that, that I don't know if it's hard to judge. I think they were both obviously good. And it seems like it's a foregone conclusion now that they're going one, two in the draft. But um, I don't know. I came more impressed. I came away more impressed with what two was able to do in big time situations than Burrow. But Burrow also wasn't in that position because Burrow was playing from uh, playing from the lead throughout the game. So right, right. Opportunity to come from behind and get that kind of shine from like, oh, guess what? I'm going to go find Devontae Smith when the game could be over on the outside. And he just kept finding Devontae Smith over and over again. Um, also, Najee Harris is very hard to bring down. Uh, that was another <laughs> big takeaway for me. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And And no, I mean, he definitely did a good job handling those situations. And again, I think that for me, you know, I just look at what LSU did and the fact that, like you mentioned, I mean, they didn't put themselves in those situations. You know, they didn't make those bad decisions early. And not all of that, obviously, is to his fault by any means. And not all the credit should go to Joe Burrow for that. But I think the fact that we're even able to have this conversation here after heading into the year thinking that, you know, LSU just had another forgettable quarterback is kind of kind of the whole mm-hmm. deal for me. I would agree. Um, also, uh, well, <laughs> I'll never mind. I'll save this for, for I have some right. Joe Burrow thoughts that were breaking last night. Um, <laughs> that me and some friends were talking about in the text thread that, uh, you know, maybe not great. Uh, <laughs> just, just bad. Just actually bad. Um, I, would you drop Alabama out of the top four? I get that they lost. So you have to, at least in the short term, do that. Penn State obviously lost. And we'll get to that in a second. But, um, I don't know how you come away from that game and go, these are not, these, these just aren't two of the best four teams in college football. That That's just one of those things where I'm like, eh, how do we come away from that? I think both these teams are still going to wind up in the playoff. I get that. I totally get that. But my issue with Alabama right now is since they don't have the LSU win, I mean, what win do they have? You know, I mean, they, 
they beat A&M when they were ranked, but I mean, A&M's pretty far from ranked at this point. Uh, but their other SEC wins are South Carolina, Arkansas, Tennessee, Old Miss. And I mean, their opener was against Duke. So yes, I do think that Alabama deserves a lot of credit for how they played against LSU. But like, if we're going to play that game, like Texas played them close too. You know, I don't think that that means yeah. that Texas is a top 10 team or anything like that. So I just tend to err on the side of you shouldn't get as much credit for losses as you do for wins. And, and look, I mean, the reality is now like a team like Minnesota, for example, and not that Minnesota is going to be top four, but like they have a dominant win over Penn state now, you know, who is number four in your ranking. And, and so like, if you're going to make a comparison between those two teams and, and granted, I mean, I think the playoff committee clearly is susceptible to all the things that AP poll voters have been forever, but like, you know, if, if you're just restarting and redoing the resume, like why would Minnesota not be ahead of Alabama right now? Not because I think that they're necessarily better, but what they've done on the field is clearly better at this moment than what Alabama's done. So it, it's tough. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, I don't think there's a good way to do this, but for me, I mean, you know, you can't, I, I don't think you can have Alabama ahead of uh, Clemson, for example. And again, like, then you start getting into the Minnesotas and, and some of the one-loss teams. And, and I think that Alabama has a good case to be number one of the one-loss teams. And actually, gosh, I mean, how many one-loss teams are even left? I mean, they might be in the top four or five just based off of that. But uh, I, I still think that Alabama actually has a pretty tough road to get there, especially, I mean, everything kind of comes down to that Auburn game. They have to be dominant probably against a really good Auburn team. And, and Auburn probably has to stay sort of top 10-ish for that game to matter the way it should. So, that would be my one concern about Alabama is I don't know whether they're going to have enough games on their schedule left to be able to play their way back into the playoffs. Yeah, I think they they could really have used Georgia on their schedule this fall. Oh, yeah. And I think Georgia could have, too, just based on who Georgia's had to play. And, I mean, we'll touch on Georgia a little bit, but... Um... I don't know. The Minnesota stuff is interesting. I'm very fascinated to find where they move up in the playoff committee's rankings this week. Um, I I don't think you could. there's any way you could sell me on them being a top-four team, even if they oh, – and it's weird because it's not fair to them and P.J. Fleck and that fan base deserves all the love and admiration they're getting. Tanner Morgan was great on Saturday. That was a big-time win. Antoine Winfield is a monster. Antoine Winfield Jr., excuse me. Um, I think he's like the highest-graded uh, safety for PFF this year. Um, they have guys. They have legitimate people, but they're – like, before that win, like, you're talking about strength of schedule. Like, just – they had, like, the Wake Forest row where it's, like, 7-0, and but not really if you look – like maybe their second best win in solid verbal talked about this on their pod last week um that the south dakota state jackrabbits might be like their second best win sure um which not great but i also just don't really worry about minnesota because ohio state's still on the horizon and i still think ohio state's the best team in college football this year and they're uh, it would not be nice to have chase young back that would make me feel a better about their their future but I, I'm not really worried about Minnesota because they're gonna get a loss. Like they're just they're not gonna beat Ohio State in my mind. There's just nothing you could say that's gonna make me think that they could score sixty five points to match Ohio State. I just I don't think it's gonna happen. But um Alabama, I don't think's losing again this year. So and they're gonna avoid the SEC title game. They're they're now gonna avoid that. They're not gonna get one more loss. Georgia's gonna have to go and play LSU in the title game. They're gonna lose that, so Georgia's out. And then you kind of look at it and you're like, okay, well, Oklahoma, after surviving, and I want to get your thoughts on that because that was pretty incredible last night as well. 
Um, I I just look at the lay of the land and how things should unfold. We're probably going to have an undefeated Clemson, an undefeated Ohio State, and undefeated LSU, and then the best one-loss team. And I just could see the committee going with um, Alabama over even a one-loss champion Oregon or a one-loss champion Oklahoma. And I think that's pretty. That's when it gets tight. When I'm like, you could sell me on Oregon, Alabama, and Oklahoma getting that four spot. I think all four would have a pretty solid case if they can run the table down the stretch. Yeah, that's where it gets tough because, you know, I do think that you start slotting those three teams in. And, I mean, look, though, if if you're looking at those one-loss teams, like, you can definitely make a very good argument that Alabama has just been, you know, so much better against those average teams that they're playing that they deserve that fourth spot. But, like... You know, if you look at Oregon, Oregon's going to have to go beat Utah probably, you know, and Utah's going to be yeah. a top 10 team. And if you look at Oklahoma, then, you know, they're going to have to beat Baylor twice probably. And Baylor's probably going to be a top 15 team even by the end of the year. And so, like, you start looking and you're like, all of those teams will have something that Alabama just doesn't have. They'll have a couple of quality wins that Alabama just doesn't have. And and look, if, if Auburn loses to Alabama too, you know, then you start having to wonder where they actually end up. And don't get me wrong. I mean, things always seem to work out for Alabama. And so, you know, I mean, there, there's a reality too that, hey, you know what, it might just work out if they finish 11-1. and one. But if you're looking at their resumes and if you're looking at their schedules, I mean, I mean, hell, the other thing that you say too is like, okay, you're working with one loss uh, Minnesota, but like their one loss is maybe to the number two team in the nation. And they yeah. have a win over Penn State. They have a couple of ranked opportunities left against Iowa and uh, there's somebody else in the schedule who's ranked um, Wisconsin. Wisconsin, you know, you have two ranked games left. If they go 12 and one and their one losses to Ohio state, to me, I don't know how you can put uh, Alabama in over, over Minnesota. Now, granted, I mean, that probably won't happen. They're probably going to have multiple losses on their schedule, but like if we're talking about that scenario, I mean, Alabama's obviously deserves all sorts of cachet, but a lot of that cachet is built on the back of playing teams that aren't very good. So I don't know. It, it just starts to get really complicated. And, and granted, I don't think we've seen a scenario quite like this in the playoff areas yet. So I am, you know, pretty curious to see how exactly the committee would handle that. If we do have all of these one loss champions, uh, you know, and also Alabama as a non-champion fighting for that last playoff spot. TCU. They're the peskiest 500 team in the Big 12 right now. Um, how did they almost ruin Matt Rule's perfect season? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. That was such a weird game. Uh, so, so, first of all, if TCU converts one of those field goals into touchdowns, which they had multiple opportunities to do during that game, they should have won. I mean, they really should have won. It, it was, you know, they just couldn't get into the end zone in regulation. But, uh, look – Gary Patterson went to his bench and they've had some injuries. That's part of it. But, but he put in a lot of young players, you know, he put in guys like uh, Travis Hodges, Tomlinson, you know, who, by the way, is LT's nephew. Uh, you know, he put in guys like Ben Wilson. He, he put in a, a new defensive end. I can't remember the kid's name. Like he went to his bench and put in a bunch of freshmen and all those guys played just at a different level than, than a lot of the guys who've been playing this season. I mean, they've had some issues with some of their older guys, just not producing. I mean, a guy like Shamik Blackshear, for example, who came in from South Carolina was a top hundred kid out of high school and grad transferred here this off season. That's been a total non-factor. And so Gary Patterson put him on the bench and they finally got some production from their defensive end. Like it was really just like on the defensive side of the ball, 
They just kept putting in different guys and it just kept working. And, um, and look, I mean, Gary Patterson is as good a defensive coach as there is in college football. And I, I don't think that even people realize how good a defensive coach he is, but um, you know, and he managed to, uh, to scheme in a way that, that Baylor struggled to run the ball where Charlie Brewer was constantly under pressure. And, and this is a weird game for Charlie Brewer too. He, he just didn't look like he totally had it for whatever reason. And, and this is the second week in a row, you know, it's, it's to the point where you start wondering, like, is there some sort of nagging injury that we don't know about? But, um, you know, he made the big plays down the stretch yesterday. I didn't. I went to the TCU side yesterday. Um, okay. But yeah, but, but that's something that I would definitely want to keep an eye on. Um, you know, and, and we might ask Matt Rule on Monday about it. But, hmm. um, but you know, it, it's something where where he's just playing tentative. And and look, it might just be that he's playing not to lose. You know, it might just be that he's playing tentative. But uh, but it looks like he. I mean, I, I don't know if he threw the ball past the ten yard. You know, ten yards down the field more than like three times in regulation yesterday. It was kind of weird. But um, but you know. In overtime, he started making those throws a little bit more consistently, and that ended up being the difference in the game in a lot of ways. So, uh, but it was as crazy an ending as as I've ever seen. I mean, Baylor's field goal kicker is is not a guy that you necessarily had a lot of faith in. He kicks a fifty-one oh, yarder. Right. I, I'm just saying, you know, he's he's somebody who he had actually never made a field goal before he made the game-winning field goal uh, against Iowa State. He had never kicked a field goal because he wasn't supposed to be the guy. The, the guy who was supposed to be the guy towards ACL in the bowl game last year. So like, oh. yeah, this is a, this is a guy who, you know, we never even knew if he'd really see kick a ball at Baylor and he kicked a 51 yarder to send the game to overtime with under a minute left. Like, in fact, Yikes. Matt rule actually ran out sort of a guy who they thought maybe was their long distance kicker. who's a true freshman um, named Noah Rauschenberg. They actually mm. ran him out to go kick the game tying field goal. And then he changed his mind, brought out the original guy, and he kicked a 51-yarder. Like, that's like Baylor's kicking situation has been an issue for a lot of this year, and he kicked the biggest kick of his life. And, and so then the game goes to overtime. You know, there's a review on, on whether on fourth down a TC receiver got in bounds, apparently got in just by his hand. Uh, you know, then there was a review on uh, on another time where a TC player stepped out of bounds and they were like, oh, did he step out of bounds because he scored a touchdown if he didn't? It's, it was a crazy ending. I mean, Baylor, oh my gosh, Baylor had nine lives in this game, but that's kind of what they've been all season, you know, and that's when you play really good defense like they've played all year long, you give yourself more opportunities and more leeway. But I'll tell you what, I mean, I was at both of these last two games against West Virginia, against TCU. If they play offense like this against Oklahoma, they're going to get boat raced. And they've proven that they can play offense at a high level. I mean, they played really well against Kansas State. They played really well against Oklahoma State, against Iowa State. I mean, they have an explosive offense, but it hasn't showed up the last couple of weeks. And something's got to change before college game day comes to Waco this week. Yeah, I'm excited. Um, I think they might be a team that just plays to their competition. Maybe. Maybe that's just like Charlie Brewer is going to get up for that game. And um, I mean, Brock Purdy struggled early against Oklahoma uh, last night and then obviously broke out in the second half. And I, I'm a big Brock Purdy guy, but uh, that I, I just, <laughs> if you're a Baylor fan, I don't think the biggest concern right now is Oklahoma's defense. I, I would say, I, yes. if you're worried about how Charlie Brewer has been playing the last couple weeks, it's fair, but um, I'm not as concerned. I'm more concerned of like, do we have enough to stop CD Lamb from doing ridiculous stuff in the open field? Can we can we stop that a little bit? Can can we do something to minimize his impact in the open field? Because that guy is he had one touchdown catch in that game last night where right. 
he went to the other side of the field. I, I don't know how he scored. Like he, I don't know how. It's just it doesn't look fair. It looks like guys are just watching him as he just runs <laughs> from side to side. It just doesn't. It doesn't make any sense to me. But he is he is someone you have to watch. And then there was like this amazing. Um, I think it was him who was on the receiving end of this. Where Hurts uh, Hurts was very inaccurate yesterday. He yeah. he throws some crazy crazy balls like he he threw a touchdown in triple coverage early so you were like oh great throw and it's like well uh he got really lucky there and um he threw some really bad picks late and then he threw one pick that should have been picked but it literally bounced up off the guy's uh hands into i think cd land for a first down but um i i don't know i think if you're a baylor fan you feel pretty good about how you match up with oklahoma this week i i think it should be close and i think um it should be a lot of fun. I, I don't think this Oklahoma team is as good as Oklahoma teams of the past years. It's like their offense is slightly worse than what it used to be, um, and their defense is slightly better. But I think what matters more for Oklahoma is having just that Heisman quarterback versus like the sixth best quarterback in the country. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and just back to what you were saying about them playing up to their competition. I mean, you know, in the first rankings, there were two ranked teams on Baylor's schedule that, that were played, you know, Kansas State and Oklahoma State. And both of those games, Baylor won by three scores. You know, and both mm-hmm. were on the road, too. So they have definitely played better in big situations. Now, at the same time, you know, you would have hoped that playing a rivalry game against TCU, that they viewed that as a big situation. But, you know, I, I think that definitely when you play against Oklahoma and you've got Oklahoma and Texas the next two weeks, probably the two most notable games on the schedule. Uh, and so, you know, it will be interesting to see how this team gets up. And, and in a lot of ways, Baylor has been what Charlie Brewer has been. And for most of that season, that's been – you know, pretty amazing. And at times that's been, you know, turn it up at the big moments and, and win the game. And look, that kid's a winner. He led Lake Travis to a state title, same high school as Baker Mayfield. I mean, he's a big time player. Um, and, and actually he was the most accurate quarterback in the history of high school football. He completed 77% of his passes as a senior. Like he's a big time player. This is a good quarterback. And so we'll see whether he can get up for that Oklahoma game. And I, I do agree. I think that Baylor does have the personnel to be able to cause issues for, Oklahoma. You know, one thing that we saw a lot uh, with Oklahoma struggles against Kansas State was obviously some of the zone read and uh, and play action stuff. And I think that Baylor can run that just as well as Skylar Thompson can. Um, and on the other side of the ball, I am very curious because you're right. Jalen Hurts has put up big numbers this year, but you know, I, I think that you watch him and you're like, okay, you know, he, the system is running through him, so he gets a lot of the numbers. But like, it is a lot that these receivers are just so good and these running backs are just so good. And that's no knock against Jalen Hurts, but like, it's just a different thing than like when Baker Mayfield can, I gosh, there was this pass I remember from Baker Mayfield when he played Baylor a few years ago, when like, he just like floated the ball over the hands of an outstretched defender right over the top. And it like darted down into his tight end fan. Like he just can do stuff like that. And Jalen Hurts isn't going to do that to you. So I do think that it could be a favorable matchup if Baylor can get some things going. And I'm curious to see what exactly uh, Oklahoma looks like playing against a good defense next week. And obviously what Baylor looks like also playing against a team with a lot of talent on that side of the ball as well. If you were Iowa State in that game last night, would you have gone for two late and going for the jugular? It was actually not a bad play call because it literally it, he pretty put that where you had to. It touched both hands for the Iowa State receiver, and unfortunately, still got picked. I think by Motley. But um, would you have gone for two, or would you have played for overtime on the road? I, I think that you go for two. I mean, just because you are playing so well, you have the best player on the field in a lot of ways in Brock Purdy. Like 
you can win the game right here. You know, you don't have to go to overtime. You don't have to, you know, play up to the level of that team. Because I think in a lot of cases with that, it's like, if you're going on the road and you're playing a team that's better than you, because Oklahoma is better than Iowa State, obviously. But if you're in that situation, I think that you try to play the one play ball game. You don't try to play the, you know, potentially 15 more plays because the more plays that you play, the more that the separation between these two teams might come into play. Like, I think that you try to make it a one play ball game. Um, and, and look, it didn't work, but like, like you said, I think the play call was pretty good. They just couldn't protect well enough. And, and look, it's football stuff happens. So I, I really liked the decision to go for it on the road against a better team. And, uh, and look, I, I, do, I like to write the story when the ball is in the air. And I think that uh, that even at that time, I think that Iowa State made the right decision. Okay. Um, did you see any of Brian Maurer in Tennessee versus Kentucky last night? I didn't, actually. So I was fascinated by these two because they're fighting for a ball game. And um, Tennessee has quietly gotten back to respectability um, down the stretch. The Georgia State loss feels like forever ago. Um, I I like Brian Maurer. I, I I really do. Now he's had thirty seven concussions this year, and that's <laughs> not great. Um, uh, but he keeps playing. He doesn't play like he's already been knocked out of multiple games with concussions. Like he had one run last night where I just it, it was like a fifteen yard run, and he fell forward and got lucky. He didn't get just mashed again. He, it's not going to end well. The Maurer experience, I don't think. Um, but it's uh. It's better than Jarrett Garantano, who's got to be like the most frustrating quarterback I've ever. Like, I could not imagine being a fan of a team with Jarrett Garantano um, as your quarterback. Just risk averse to an unbelievable degree. It's like Jake Fromm on steroids. But um, big win for them. Lynn Bowden, like what Kentucky's running offensively with their former, like he was a high school quarterback and now he's been converted to quarterback um, from receiver at Kentucky and they're passing not at all it was just a really fun weird game that I very much needed to to go through um but I don't know Tennessee's going bowling after losing to Georgia State to open the year very bad start but with Vanderbilt and someone else who's not good on left in the schedule Missouri um, and also yeah there you go who just got shut out by UGA in very embarrassing fashion um I got some breaking news for you you ready what's up Chad Morris got fired ah it's official yeah. well well what what a shame i mean he did tell us uh yesterday at the press conference that he's the right guy for the job but in, in all seriousness <laughs> he didn't uh, say what job yeah to be fair i guess that's true uh in all seriousness like i, I thought that this was a perfect fit i thought that chad morris was going to be able to go in there and like one thing he has done maybe not as well as they hope but like he has reestablished recruiting ties with the state of texas right like that was that was why you bring him in there. I mean, I, I'll tell you, you know, I, I was at uh, coaching school this year for a Texas High School Coach Association, right? And there is not a more popular man among Texas high school football coaches than Chad Morris. Like he might be number one out of just everybody. And look, I mean, I think that he did some nice things at SMU. Now, obviously the fact that Sonny Dykes is able to do way nicer things in such a short amount of time doesn't look great. But, like, you felt like he was a guy who had uh, experience with the championship-level program at Clemson. You felt like he had been a head coach before at SMU. You felt like, you know, he ran a good system that should be able to fit the sort of talent that Arkansas would get. I mean, I, I honestly am a little blown away with how badly this went. Like, I, I honest to God, just kind of can't believe that 
it went like this, you know, because I, I thought that there might be a little bit of a transition, but when you're talking about getting blown out by Western Kentucky and losing to San Jose state, like, Oh man, I, I, I don't even know how these sort of games happen. And um, look, I, I think ultimately they didn't have a choice. I mean, the way that the program just yeah. took a nosedive under him, but it, it's still, it's always going to be confusing to me that this didn't work. I feel like he needed to be at SMU longer because his record really wasn't that great. And he's still pretty young. Sonny Dykes has been a coach for a long time. He coached a cat. Like there was a difference there. Um, where you, you could see Sonny Dykes immediately coming in and being better. But um, I thought Chad Moore, I mean, it's a SEC job, so you just take it. It's also just a really hard job because he had the exact opposite guys he needed than what Brett Bielma was recruiting sure. in the state of Arkansas. So, like, I think that's an underreported part. I mean, Jeff Collins is going through the same stuff at Tech right now. They're 2 and seven, sure. lost to Virginia, and you're having to filter out the triple option guys for what you want. Um, but it's not like the NFL where you can just turn over your roster and sign a bunch of free agents and flip the script. This is going to take a couple of years. Um, I believe they were recruiting a little bit better, but they were I, recruiting pretty well, honestly. Yeah. So I don't think this is like a disastrous situation because guess who might be available for the Arkansas Razorbacks in a couple of weeks? He gets is to that- come home potentially. It's Gus Malzahn. <laughs> it's time to bring him home. Oh, man. We're going to do this every single time this job comes open, aren't we? I mean, I hope so. As an Auburn fan, I am very much ready for Gus Malzahn <laughs> to move on to, to greener pastures. Yeah. I mean, I'll tell you what, though. I, when when your cross-state rival has Nick Saban as head coach, there's never going to be anybody that looks particularly good at Auburn. I mean, he's hey, he took them to a national championship game. He was the OC when they won a national championship. Like he's done a lot. Um, Kevin Steele just needs to be part of like he needs to be offered like a lifetime contract. He needs to get the Dave Miranda <laughs> deal. Um, well, well, I'll tell you what. I'll, I'll tell you what. It's kind of funny, uh, you know, seeing all the Kevin Steele praise because obviously I went to Baylor and uh, and mm-hmm. obviously he was a he was a disastrous head coach at Baylor. I think that he won like like 20% of his game. So uh, it is kind of fun to see, to see all the uh, Kevin Steele praise right now. Because I felt, are just not meant to be head coaches. They're just for sure. coordinators. I think, uh, I think the first time I ever became aware of SB country before I ever actually had like worked there or anything like that was because somebody had put together a list of potential coaching candidates for, uh, for Baylor. And for some reason he put, uh, Kevin Steele down, even though Kevin Steele was nine and 36 as a head coach at Baylor previously. So, you know, Mm. I mean, granted, I mean, that's something that like, if you weren't around Baylor, you probably didn't know that, but like, (laughs) it was, uh, it was definitely kind of uh, entertaining and people definitely got a lot of play out of that. Yeah. Um, last thing on this, on this coaching stuff. Um, Muschamp lost at home to app state last night. Did you see how South Carolina lost that game? I didn't. What happened? So Helsinki had an open receiver in the end zone on the last play of the game to win because it was there. It was a five point game. Like he catches it, it's over. That South Carolina wins at home. And App State's good. Zach Thomas and yeah. friends, they're good. Um, he overshot him. <laughs> Do you remember how Herbert uh, on the last yeah. play of the Auburn uh, Oregon game just sure. airmailed this ball? It wasn't that egregious, but it was um, very much off the mark. To a wide open South Carolina oh, man. in the back of the end zone. It is. I encourage you to get out this podcast to look it up because it is. It is brutal. Oh what a man! Year for them. 
<laughs> I mean, this is this seems like the most South Carolina season, right? Like, right, they just, beat you George know, on the road. They lose right, App State. Yeah, they lose to North Carolina. Like, oh yeah. man, it's just it's the most South Carolina season, and that's and that is why they're gonna go and get Clemson a hell of a ball game in a couple yeah. of weeks. They're just—I couldn't imagine being a South Carolina fan this year, or really any I, fan any year with Muschamp. I, I yeah, ugh. yeah, yeah. That, that's uh, you know, it's funny. I had obviously never interacted with a ton of SEC fans very much before moving to Atlanta a couple of years ago. But like, um, you know, when I was there, I didn't realize necessarily, and and this is probably gonna sound a little rude, like how South Carolina fans saw themselves, like that they saw themselves as like being on that level per se you know like like that's something that i didn't know that like but they were like oh yeah well of course because uh you know i mean spurrier took us to to winning 10 games you know that's what we are and it's like nah, you had one of the greatest <laughs> coaches of all time uh, you know coaching your program so it's uh that, that it was, was definitely like they thought they were getting um tom herman and Tom Hurt, like during that head coaching search, and then end up with Muschamp. It's like, no, 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 you're not getting like one yeah. of the two best. Co- like, no, that's that's not happening. Yeah, yeah. No, that's and and look, I'll tell you what. I mean, again, I I went to Baylor. Like, I went to one of these, you know, third tier programs, and that's not a bad thing, right? Like, there's a ton of fun to be had at them. But like, you know, it is kind of funny when you're seeing like the major national candidates. You're like, oh, could we get this guy? And you're just not even mentioned. You know, like you're just never even I mean, mentioned. You got that role. You kept him. Yeah. He almost took hey. the best job. You, did you hey, know, hey, you know what? I, he he would have taken the Jets job if the uh, like the owner and GM did not step in and like want to pick his staff for him. Like that's why he said no to New York last year. Yeah. So, and I'll tell you what. Matt Rule is as good a coach as I think Baylor could have ever expected to get after that whole, yeah. you know, debacle. And so there, there are absolutely no complaints here and anywhere around Baylor, I'm sure, at this point for 9-0. and Yeah, um, but he might be gone. I, could this be it for Rule? Like, this is, like, the highest he might be able to get this program before his name. I, I don't know. Like, this is just sell high. Like, are, do Baylor fans worry at all that, like... This is probably it for Rule. He's just going to take one of these NFL jobs next year. It seems like he's just destined for the NFL. So, so here's the things that I'll say about that. I think one, if he leaves Baylor, it'll either be for the NFL or it'll be for Penn State. I don't really see him leaving mm. something else. He's a Penn State guy, by the way, and so yeah. um, those are the two types of jobs that I think he would leave for. But the other thing too is that he's a New Yorker. I mean, he was born and raised mm. in New York. So, like, the fact that the Jets came calling and he eventually turned it down, like, regardless of the staff stuff, like, that's, that's kind of wild. And, um, you know, he just signed a huge extension this offseason, uh, or early in the season, I guess, and apparently has, like, potentially a top 10 buyout in college football right now, and he's signed through 2027. Mm-hmm. So, I don't think that Baylor fans are worried about him leaving right now. I mean, I think that eventually, obviously, I think that everybody expects him to someday go to the NFL, but... And he's 44 years old. I don't think he feels a huge rush to get there. I think that he feels like, you know, this is year three of a complete, complete rebuild. Like there's more places to go after this. I think he feels like, um, so I don't think that there's a lot of concern that he could leave in the immediate future, but look, I mean, I, I don't think that anybody has any thought that he's going to be a 25 year coach here by any means, but I don't think that, I don't think that anybody is really too worried that this is it per se for Matt Rule. Rank these three job openings this offseason. Okay. Michigan State, okay. USC, Auburn. How would you rank them in terms of 
just best job available? Yeah, USC is definitely number one. Uh, just because okay. you you can own basically California. I mean, there is not another West Coast school that when they are functioning at full capacity that they're going to be uh, competing necessarily with USC. Like USC is a special job for that reason. Um, Auburn's like a clear number two. Like they're not that far apart, USC and Auburn. Um, you know, but you do have to deal with so many other people in your recruiting space. You know, you have to go into Florida, you have to go into Georgia and you're, you know, you're going to be competing with a whole bunch of nationally relevant programs in those areas. Uh, and, and then also that doesn't obviously count the fact that your cross state rival is still Nick Saban and Michigan state's like a clear number three for me. Like it's, it's not that easy to recruit there. There's not that many fertile recruiting grounds. Like you look at Michigan and you look at Ohio state, like they recruit nationally because they can, but also because they have to. And, you know, Michigan state's tried to make, uh, you know, some of their progress in Michigan in Ohio and there are players there for sure, but it's not the same as what, what USC and Auburn go to. And, and granted, when I talk about recruiting, like recruiting is not everything by any means, but like, you know, USC also has just a little bit more in terms of like footprints and fan base and stuff like that. And Auburn's in that same boat where they also have sort of a national fan base. Michigan state, like at its core is still probably a basketball school. And you know, that that's done really nice things in football, but probably can't ever get to that top level. And I think the easiest path is for USC to get to the top level. And Auburn has a path there, but they just, again, they have to get through Alabama to get there. And that's what makes that job just a little bit tougher right now. Okay. Okay. That's fair. I'll, I'll take middle of the ground. But if you had said Michigan State over Auburn, I would have. Oh, no. No, no, no. No, no, no. I would be remiss. I want to give my guy of the week um, that just... I, I saw this number and I was just blown away. But also, um, this is what got dudes being dudes. Who right. who loves that more than Steve Adazio <laughs> in Boston College? AJ Dillon carried the ball forty times in a oh loss in Florida State. Forty times, only for hundred and sixty five yards. It oh was, man! I saw this and I did a double take and I was like, wait, what? <laughs> what? Steve Adazio, no regard for human life. Oh my god, that is. Oh God! <laughs> well, it's easy to see why uh, why Andre Two K a couple of years ago was able to get to two thousand yards with carries like yeah, that. He got a billion carries, and that's why he's not in the NFL because they used all of them up in college. Yeah. Like Steve Adazio, just a monster with this stuff. Um, I can't believe you didn't have me uh, rank that job too. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I think he might be there forever because everything <laughs> I've read on BC is that like they're they don't really care about football and like athletics has yeah. just been kind of put on the back yeah. burner that they're just like go six and six every year and we're we're cool well well uh the one thing that i'll mention real quick before you ask me is uh you know who uh who followed steve adazio at his previous job was not rule so uh obviously i think that was a mm. little bit of an upgrade <laughs> i think that might have been a little bit of an upgrade um who is your star we can call it how do we brand this um we could brand this hmm on star <laughs> I think so. Yes, sure, Sean Star. Yeah, I'll take that. Uh, okay, I'm going to give one <laughs> real quick. I'm going to give one real quick that was at the game that I was at, Baylor TCU. Um, so the guy that I'm going to give there is is linebacker Terrell Bernard. That dude was all over the field. He finished with 19 tackles, three tackles for loss, a sack, and a key interception in that game. Like, he was everywhere. And and actually, the story behind that, too, obviously, is that, uh, is that Baylor's starting middle linebacker, who was like a legit sort of, not all-American necessarily, but definitely – all conference first team linebacker went out at the middle of the year 
And they have really just not missed him that much, which is kind of wild to see. Uh, let's see. Um, I mean, I don't know if I have a crazy numbers guy, but like dude, Tanner Morgan, man, like 18 for 20, 339 yards, three touchdowns against Penn State, against the number four team in the country. Like, it's ridiculous. That is absolutely insane. The, the complete 90% of your passes against Penn State, like in Penn State might not be super special on defense right now, but like, oh man, that's almost a perfect ball game. And, and look, I think that now after his performance and after seeing what he can do on national TV, like Minnesota is going to be in contention for like a top six spot now. And, and I think they should yeah. be because holy crap, that team is really good. Uh, you're, you're more in on Minnesota than I am. I think Minnesota is a great story. I think they're probably losing to Wisconsin, and I think they're probably lo- they're definitely losing to Iowa State. They're like they're probably going to finish with two losses. It's an amazing Minnesota year, like Tanner yeah. Morgan, Bateman. They have a lot of guys who are going to be in the NFL on Sundays. PJ Flex done a great job. He deserved the billion dollar extension that he got to keep him away from Florida State and everywhere else. But uh, here's what I'll ask. Here's what I'll ask. Okay, is is if Minnesota finishes twelve and one though, like. I, no. with, I know where the those question's going. Still no. <laughs> but, but like, where, where should they deserve to be ranked? Because they'll have wins over three mm. really good ranked opponents. Like, there, there's a certain level of, okay, well then, why bother playing the games if Minnesota's not going to get a shot? You know, like, why bother right. actually putting a team out on Saturday if, if Minnesota can go 12-0 and in the regular season and not matter? You know what I mean? Yeah. I agree. Like, at a certain level, this starts to come down to, like, what we thought about them heading into the year. And, like, I don't know. Like, I think that they've already exceeded what what I expected coming into the year. And, like, I'm not saying that they have to be a playoff team by any means. But, like, look, if Minnesota goes 12-1 and and isn't, like, the sixth best team in the country, like, then I don't know what we're doing here. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. Um, Last thing I have to mention. Uh, Miami is back. Texas is back. (laughs) So college football is saved. <laughs> Jaron Williams threw six touchdowns, set a record. Brock Berlin, who? Yeah, no, Brock Berlin, not walking through that door. Robert Marv, not walking through that door. Ken Dorsey, not walking through that door. You know who is? Jaron Williams. Six TDs. <laughs> Texas, stomping on Skylar Thompson's grave in Kansas State. Going ahead and getting back in there. I like it. Yeah, man. It, it's Look, Texas is one of those teams that just, you know, They'll make things a lot harder than it needs to be, but like they're gonna they're gonna they're find a way to, way. yeah, it really is. And now I'm really curious to see, uh, actually in two weeks when they play against Baylor, what the line's gonna be in that game because Tom Herman is something crazy and as like a minor underdog, but I actually think that Texas might be favored heading into that game. And actually, the flip side is also if Baylor's less than a seven point underdog, Matt Rule is also crazy against the spread, so that's gonna be a, a fun little Vegas game there too. All right. Well, this has been great. I appreciate you taking the time this morning. Um, is there anything we should check out from you on TexasFootball.com or anywhere else this week? Uh, man, I, I'm working on a bunch of different stuff. So just keep an eye on TexasFootball.com. You can find all of our content there. Uh, it really helps us out if you become a subscriber, TexasFootball.com slash subscribe. And you can find all of my articles, too, by following me on Twitter. I tweet way too much. It's at Shahanjayaraja, at S-H-E-H-A-N-J-E-Y-A-R-A-J-A-H. Uh, you know, so follow that if you caught that. There you go. Do it. Thank you so much. And uh, we'll be back next Sunday morning. I'm back if you're back. Uh, sure, sure. Just let me know. All right. Sounds good, man. See you later. See you. Bye.
Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas podcast. Hell yeah. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.